I worry about diseases, so uh, I have trouble touching things. Uh, in public places, it's, it's uh, almost impossible. I have a real big problem moving. Talk about moving. As long as I'm in my apartment, I'm okay. But when I want to go out, I get weird. Talk about weird. Talk about weird. Well, I get dizzy spells, nausea, cold sweats, hot sweats, fever blisters, difficulty breathing, difficulty swallowing, blurred vision, involuntary trembling, dead hands, numb lips, fingernail sensitivity, pelvic discomfort. So the real question is, what is the crisis, Bob? What is it that you are truly afraid of? What if my heart stops beating? What if I'm looking for a bathroom, I can't find it, and my bladder explodes? One of my favorites is fingernail discomfort. Well, relational truth of the universe number one, this is on your listening guide, is everyone is messed up, right? Bob's messed up. Everybody agree? You may not be as messed up as Bob, but we've all got issues, right? Even Kelly Clarkson, the wisest woman to ever walk the streets of Burleson, Texas, in her song, My Life Would Suck Without You, says in the second verse, I'm just, by the way, I'm just quoting the Tyler, maybe I was stupid for telling you goodbye. Maybe I was wrong for trying to pick a fight. I think that's on there. We actually have those. Oh, yeah, there we go. Now, next one. Here's what I want you to see. Kelly Clarkson says, I know that I've got issues. But you're pretty messed up, too. Either way, I found out I'm nothing without you. Now, here's here's the thing. We're all messed up, but we don't want to admit that we're messed up. And what we do is, here's the thing, if you see anybody in this church that you think they've got it all together, if you see anybody in Palestine, Anderson County, where you work, if you see anybody that you think has got everything together, do you know what that really means? It means you don't know them. You don't really know who they are. You can, you can be impressed from a distance. But when you get to know people, you find out that someone you thought had this idyllic Lifestyle? No, 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 no. They're messed up just as you are. The truth is of our world is everyone has problems and everyone is messed up in some way. Now, Bob knows, he says right there, I've got problems. But just like everyone else in the world, Bob doesn't want to focus on his problems. Messed up people want to blame others for their problems. So watch who Bob blames for his marriage failing. Are you married? I'm divorced. Would you like to talk about that? There are two types of people in this world. Those who like Neil Diamond and those who don't. My ex-wife loves him. I see. So what you're saying is that even though you are an almost paralyzed, multiphobic personality that is in a constant state of panic, your wife did not leave you. You left her because she liked Neil Diamond. 
Now, you're saying that maybe maybe I didn't leave her because she likes Neil Diamond, but maybe maybe she left me? Yes. Ow. 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 Dr. Marvin, you can help me. For the first time in my life, I feel like there's hope. I feel like I can be somebody. Bob, there's an old saying that the best psychiatrist in the world is the one right inside of you. Yeah. I can help you. Yes. Thank you. Bob, there is a groundbreaking new book that has just come out. Ah. Now, not everything in this book, of course, applies to you, but I'm sure that you can see, when you see the title, exactly how it could help. Baby steps? It means setting small, reasonable goals for yourself, one day at a time. One tiny step at a time. Baby steps. For instance, um, when you leave this office, don't think about everything you have to do in order to get out of the building. Just think of what you must do to get out of this room. And when you get to the hall, deal with that hall, and so forth. You see? Baby steps. Baby steps. Oh, boy. Baby steps. Baby steps. Baby steps through the office. Baby steps out the door. It works. It works. All I have to do is take one little step at a time, and I can do anything. Hmm. Baby step around the office. <laughs> Baby step around the office. That should give you a lot to digest while I'm on vacation. V vacation? Oh, certainly my secretary told you. As of this afternoon, I'm taking my family on vacation until Labor Day. That's a month. What if I need you? What if I need to talk? Well, my associate, Dr. Harmon, would be happy to talk. And Bob, I'll be back. Just read Baby Steps. Baby steps out of the office. Very good. Baby steps to the hall. Very good, Bob. Keep going. That's it. Bye. I'll see you in a month. Baby steps to the elevator. Baby steps to the elevator. Now, we're not all that different from Bob, are we? Our natural reaction is to blame other people for all of the pain and discomfort that we have in our lives. But the more we blame others the more we act like a jerk. If you don't take responsibility for your own actions, then you are a jerk. And that leads us, because of relational truth of the universe number one, which is everybody's messed up, and we want to blame others for our messed up lives, it leads us to relational truth of the universe number two. Jerkism is unavoidable. Jerkism is unavoidable. 
unavoidable. Since we're all messed up, we all have jerk tendencies. And if I'm ever going to move towards maturity, it means that I've got to be willing to admit that part of me is a jerk, just as part of everyone that I'm going to love or be loved by, deal with or work with or even go to church with is going to be a jerk, at least to some degree. Reality says that I'm going to be a jerk to some people and some people are going to be a jerk to me. Reality also says that some of us are more jerky than others. In the book, Don't Let Jerks Get the Best of You, Paul Meyer from the Menrith Meyer Clinics breaks jerks down into three categories. Now, I need ten volunteers, and I'm going to take all of you on the front row. That's seven. And let's see, there's two more, three. There we go, right there. You three. Yeah, come on, Teresa. Bring Michael, bring your sister. Okay, that's good. Shayla, you got out of it. All right, come on, Stan and Ann. You, you happen to come up there at the end, and I saw you. Now... What uh, Dr. Meyer does is he breaks jerks down into three categories. There's three types of jerks in the world. Now, let me explain. First degree jerks, that is mod- a mild to moderate selfishness. And they're all saying, y'all don't have to do anything except go where I tell you in just a second. And by the way, this is not a scientific representation of our church body. I'm, I'm disclaiming that before you are separated into jerk status. Um, second degree jerk is serious to acute selfishness. And then the nth degree jerk is severe to sociopathic selfishness. Now, according to scientific findings, this is scientific findings. 40% of people are first degree jerks. One, two, three, four, four out of ten. Y'all go over this way. First degree jerks. 40% of people, four out of ten are second-degree jerks. One, two, three, four. Ten percent of people are nth-degree jerks. There you go, right here. Whoop, whoop, right here. Ten percent. You're the one. Okay, yeah, you go over there. Let's let little Jamie be the nth-degree jerk. All right, now, you're doing the math. Four plus four. How much? I was going slowly. Plus one. Nine. That's only 90%. There is another category of people out there who have conquered almost all of their jerky tendencies. And you know what we call them? Mature adults. Now, if these numbers... You get to be the mature adult. Stand right here. Now, if these numbers hold true in general, four out of ten in Palestine are first-degree jerks. Four out of ten in Palestine are second-degree jerks. One out of ten is an nth-degree jerk. And one out of ten is a mature adult. Well, according to the research, that's also true in our churches. Now, y'all just stay right there for just a second. I'm almost done with you. Now, first degree jerks, they're the type of people that believe in to to, uh, live and let live. They believe in that statement. They believe in do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So these people, they're nice People And if everybody in the world was a first-degree jerk, the world would be a lot nicer place. We wouldn't have near as many... We'd still have a few problems, but that'd be easy to work out. We wouldn't have all this relational difficulty. And, and the problem is that less than half of the general population, which means that less than half of our church, is a first-degree jerk. Second-degree jerks make up... 40% of the world in our church. Second degree jerks now, they willfully manipulate, control, blame, and abuse other people. Willfully. They may feel guilty afterwards, but they'll probably do it again. For example, let's, let's talk about these two. A first degree jerk would never, never commit adultery. 
A second degree jerk would commit adultery and feel bad afterwards, but would probably do it again under the right circumstances. Nth degree jerks, that's a little Jamie, wave at him, little Jamie. Nth degree jerks, they're the sick people in our society who actually enjoy manipulating, controlling, dominating, abusing other people. And they feel no guilt about the pain and the suffering that they've caused. They have no conscience. So in our example, an nth degree jerk would have multiple affairs and never even blink an eye. Okay, y'all sit down. Again, that was not a scientific representation. So Jamie's not an nth degree jerk. We don't have an nth degree jerk for our youth minister. Now, Bob is an nth degree jerk. How many of y'all love this movie? It's a really funny movie, isn't it? And and you see uh, Dr. Leo Marvin there. He He's being all psychologist-like, psychiatrist-like. Um, that's about to change because Bob is an nth degree jerk. Nobody realizes except the six or seven psychiatrists that he's already had that have quit the business because they couldn't get him fixed. Bob is such an, uh, a jerk that he willfully lies and manipulates and and fakes his own suicide so they can find out where Dr. Marvin is having vacation. And here is when he shows up at that vacation. a little bit, but don't be mad. Bob, your behavior is completely inappropriate. You're angry. No, no, I don't get angry. Well, you're upset. <laughs> I don't get upset. Well, then let's have a little talk. Bob, I do not see patients on vacation ever. How many ways can I make that clear? Now, what I'd like you to do is to get on this bus and go back to New York. I can't. I'm totally paralyzed. I'm all locked up. You got yourself here. Barely. Well... Getting back will be therapeutic. But can't we just have a little talk? Bob, you are testing my patience. Come on, I've come so far. Bob. I'm baby-stepping. I'm, I'm doing the work. I'm baby-stepping. I'm not a slacker. Check Listen. it out. Look at I'm in really bad shape. Come on, please. Bob. Please. Bob. Give me, give me, give me. I need, I Bob. need, Bob. I need, I need. Bob. Give me, give okay. me, okay. please. All right, all right, please. all right. All right, it's 2 o'clock. 
Go to the bus station, buy yourself a ticket home, and then wait for me in that coffee shop. You'll meet me? I'll call you in two hours. Now, no, 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 just, just, you have to promise me that you will buy your ticket and go home. Absolutely. I'm going to do, do it right now. All right, I'll call you at 4 o'clock. You couldn't possibly make it 3.30, could you? Bob! Four. Four, okay. Exactly, four o'clock. It's better. Okay. Thank you, Dr. M. We could spend a lot of time talking about unacceptable behavior because all of us have jerks in our lives, don't we? And if they're sitting next to you, don't point them out because that's jerk behavior in itself. But I think what we need to do is we need to spend some time looking at what God has to say about how to deal with the jerks that we have in our lives. I grew up going to church at a time when when um, going to church was expected. I mean, everybody just kind of things shut down. You didn't have things open on Sundays and you went to church and there were these rules. I don't know where they came from, but there were these rules, especially for children. Well, I think some of them were for everybody. You didn't smile in church. You didn't laugh unless the, the preacher told a really lame joke. And, and some of you have been there. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That was planned. Um, so you, you just sat there and, and you didn't laugh. You didn't smile. You didn't talk. You didn't make noise. And sometimes you didn't even blink because if you did, dad would bring that thump right upon your head or upon your ear. Or if you're sitting next to mom, mom, mom would pinch just the soft side of the back of your arm and just hurt. And then you weren't supposed to say, ow, out loud because then you get smacked. Or if you were really bad, you know, sitting next to your siblings and y'all were slapping each other, dad would say, you're going to get it. When we get home in this demonic voice, which I always thought was kind of strange. Um, I don't know who made these rules up, but evidently these rules have been around for a long, long time. Because in Jesus day, it was considered unheard of to do certain things in church. You never came to church late. You certainly never talked during church and never, ever under any circumstances did you get up from church and leave early. It was just unheard of. When Jesus gives his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five, uh, chapters five through seven, he was speaking to a group of people who bought in wholeheartedly to this don't talk in church, don't smile in church, don't leave church early kind of people. And Jesus rocks their world because in the middle of chapter five, he gives them permission to get up from church under certain circumstances, leave right in the middle of worship. And it was so shocking that people started elbowing each other going, did you hear what the, the, the ADD people who kind of zone out? What did he just say? Yeah, some of y'all know very well who you are. Jesus gave him a free pass to get up and leave. He tells them at the height of the worship service, if there's a particular situation that comes up, get up and leave. Now, we're not to leave because we want to get out and get to the restaurant before the Methodists do. That's not an appropriate reason, which all of the Baptist churches that I was in, that was part of our thinking about when we started and ended services. We don't leave because we're bored and have better things to do. We don't leave because you don't like the music or the message, or you don't want to make eye contact with somebody that you're ticked off at in the church. But there is a right reason to get up and leave worship. And here it is in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. This is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. Okay, remember those words, because in just a minute, we're going to come back and we're going to look at the two verses immediately preceding these. But right now, he says, look at how this is how I want you to conduct yourselves in these matters. If you enter the place of worship and about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back 
and work things out with God. So what Jesus is saying to this group of people, if you've been a jerk to someone, if you've messed over someone, and when you're sitting there, you remember this? Jesus says, get up, leave your, your offering in the joy basket. Yeah, y'all didn't see that one coming. Leave your offering in the joy basket. Go and make things right. Yeah, you almost got it. I didn't wait. Joy basket. Yeah, thank you. Then come back and make things right with God. Work things out with God. <laughs> Is that what we do? Do we take Jesus literally on this teaching? Our church is known as places that people battle for relationships. Not battle in relationships, but we fight for relationships. Or have churches been known as just a microcosm of what's going on in the world? Without this teaching from Jesus, we might be tempted to do what Dr. Leo Marvin does after having his whole vacation and his interview on this book, Baby Steps, ruined by Bob we might try to do what Dr. Marvin tries to do. This is tricky. <laughs> what? Oh, it's terrible news, babe. Well, he did try to commit suicide once before. Maybe we should have seen it coming. More fish, anyone? I'm all tied up. I'm tied up. Yeah, that's it. You're saying I'm all tied up inside. Okay. I'm, I'm all tied up inside. And, and these phony bombs mean that if I don't untie myself inside the emotional knots, I'm going to explode. Yeah. Oh, it's so Simple, yet so brilliant. Huh. Okay, Dr. M, I get it. Baby step. Untie your knots. Tuesday, we'll eat Gill. On Wednesday, we'll eat Bob. <laughs> no, no, no. That's going too far. Dad! Daddy! Dad! Dad, are you all right? Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Really, thank you for asking. I'm fine now. Bob's gone. Oh, we know, sweetie. You do? How? Didn't hear it go off. Oh, he's a jolly good fellow. Oh, he's a 
jolly good fellow. It's Bob. For he's a jolly good fellow. Mom, just please. No, no, please, no, no, the no. The genius. Your death therapy cured me. You cheat. What are you doing here? You cured me, Daco. Bob. The bags I put around your neck, Bob. Where are they? In the house. Why? Now, you know you would like it sometimes if you could hang some bombs around the necks of people that you're upset with. But but really, the problem with anger and grudges is the only people we hurt are ourselves. We, we forgive other people for ourselves, not for them. And see, we are all tied up inside, just like Bob says, and you will explode. Now, you may be one of those stuffers. It will eventually come out. Jesus tells us how you can untie the knots. He says, you ought to leave church when you're about to worship and then you remember that you've got unresolved conflict with someone. He says, stop. If there's a broken fellowship with you and someone else, stop what you're doing right now. Go to that person and make it right. Then you come back and worship. Because here's the deal. Jesus is telling us that relationships and our worship are connected. You can't separate the two. Jesus puts this whole condition on being right with God. The vertical... He says, the condition is, you got to be right with other people before you're going to be right with God. Jesus is telling us to think about our relationships before you try to worship. Now, let's go back to those two verses right before the ones we read. Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to our people long ago, you must not murder anyone. Anyone who murders another will be judged. But I tell you, if you're angry with a brother or sister, you will be judged. If you say bad things to a brother or sister, you will be judged by the council. And if you call someone a fool, you will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus says that if you enter the presence of God with bitterness of heart toward one of God's creations, it's in the same, it's the same thing in God's eyes as if you had murdered that person. Let's say you want to come to my house, but you can't stand my children. Your dislike of my children is going to block any possible relationship you and I might have. And God says it's the same way with God. You can't have a close relationship with God when you don't have a close relationship with someone else. God says if you have bitterness in your heart, it negates your worship. Look at 1 John 4.20. If anyone boasts, I love God and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he's a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love God, love the God he can't see? You can be religious. That's outward. We always talk about we're not organized religion around here. We're disorganized religion around here. You can be religious. That's the outward. But still have bitterness in your heart. That's the inward. And God is more, um, more concerned with what's on the inside than he is on the outside. That's why we don't make a big deal about what you wear around here. We don't want folks to get all caught up in what you wear. We want folks to realize that the, this whole relationship with God is an inner type deal. Look at Psalm 94.11. God 
The Lord knows what people think. God knows your thoughts when you walked in the door today. He knew every relationship in your life that was right, and He knew every relationship in your life that was wrong. And here is a huge reason why we come to worship week after week after week. These next set of verses in Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. God's Word is alive and working and is sharper than a double-edged sword. It cuts all the way into us where the soul and the spirit are joined to the center of our joints and bones, and it judges the thoughts and feelings of our hearts. Nothing in all the world can be hidden from God. Everything is clear and lies open before Him. And to Him we must explain the way we've lived. Now when it says everything, that phrase, everything is clear and lies open before God, that means nothing is hidden from God's eyes. God knows the thoughts of a fish before it bites the hook. God knows the thoughts of a dog before you ever enter the yard with that dog. So don't think you can come in here and hide your thoughts and your intentions from God. God's word, it says, is living and active. It judges the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. God's word is actually a heart monitor. So let's monitor our hearts this morning. Is there anyone you've got something against today? And some of you think, oh, no, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Okay, let's ask a harder question. Is there anyone who has something against you? Oh, man, could have gotten out of here scot-free if you hadn't asked that question. If you answered yes to either one of those questions, there is a process that Jesus says you need to go through. And it's critical because if you don't, you will not grow spiritually. You will be stuck where you are spiritually. It's what Jesus is telling us. So here's the process very quickly. Baby step number one, go quickly. First thing is we, we've got to go with the, with the idea of being reconciled. Get up in the middle of church and go. Every second you wait is really making it more likely that you won't go at all. You're just putting it off. If we took this teaching from Jesus seriously, how many people would be left in this worship center to hear the rest of the message? Thank you. None. The longer you take to make it right, the harder your heart gets and the further you get from God. The longer you take to reconcile, the more others around you will be affected. It's like an appendix that's about to rupture. Why is it such a big deal to to go to the emergency room and get the appendix out before it ruptures? What's the appendix full of? Poison. And if it explodes, what's it going to do to the rest of your body? Poison it. Relationships are like that. When we have a broken relationship, it poisons our heart. But the problem is we don't keep the poison to ourselves, do we? We tend to go and tell others, oh, well, do you know what they did? Do you know what they did? Do you know what they did? And before long, this poison spreads. You want to know why churches have horrible fellowship? It's because they've not dealt with relationship poison. When we fight for those relationships, it becomes known that not only are people real there, not only do people value relationships, but the healing power of a resurrected Jesus Christ flows through people and restores relationships. That's supernatural, and I've never seen anyone turn away from the supernatural. Our churches are filled with the natural things we do, things we say and think. When we're filled with the supernatural, lost people, people who are far from God, are drawn to the God that we say we serve. The antidote is you got to be opened up. If my child's appendix was about to rupture, I wouldn't have any thoughts about saying to the doctor, open him up, open her up. You got to go and you got to open up your heart and drain that poison. Baby step number two, you got to have the right spirit. You see, it's not confrontation 
that ruins a relationship, that breaks a relationship. It's the spirit of confrontation that either makes or breaks the relationship. How many of you think that confrontation is a bad word? It's okay, you can, you can be honest. You just, you hate confrontation. It's a bad thing, you avoid it at all costs. My wife is one of those. We've been dealing with a lot of stuff in, in the last few years about the way we handle anger. She said, how do you get mad and then get over it? I said, I don't know. It's just, I get mad and get over it. She's a stuffer and she wants to, she wants to please everybody. She never wants anybody to think that, that the, the boat has been rocked at all. But what she does is she stuffs it and it's going to come out. It may not come out mean, but it's going to come out. It could come out in physical symptoms, but it's going to come out, you stuffers. Now that's no, that is no, um, uh, license for you, you speakers or yellers or whatever. That doesn't mean you get to go and you get to, to abuse people with your words. The right spirit will make or break that relationship. See, you don't get to go to someone and say, you're messing up my worship. Let's get this right. If you'll stop this, 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 then my worship would be fine. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. No, we don't get to do that trash. You gotta have the right spirit. You see, there, there is a Holy Spirit that comes from God. There is an unholy spirit that does not come from God. And the way you approach someone will tell them immediately which spirit is coming out of you. The Holy Spirit of God does things and restores relationships and restores hearts. And people sit back and go, no stinking way. That's not natural. Right. It's supernatural. The unholy spirit just causes division. Just wreaks havoc. Now, the third thing, the third baby step is seek restoration. The whole purpose of confrontation is to restore a relationship. It's not to prove you're right. If you're going to prove you're right, you've got the unholy spirit dominating your life. And, and it's not going to help you out. You see, when, when I become friends with someone, we interact, we form a bond. And the more we interact, the more we have positive uh, interaction, the more that bond is strengthened. But then inevitably, I'm going to be a jerk. I don't plan it. It's not on my calendar, be a jerk on this day. But I can be a jerk to them. They can be a jerk to me. And this is so critical that Jesus says, I can't. I can't worship correctly until I restore that relationship with that person. So I got to go. I'm supposed to go quickly. I'm supposed to go with the right spirit and I'm supposed to reconcile, restore the relationship. And so I keep going through these steps as long as it takes. And some people are going to refuse. I still have to do what's right before God. And then I leave them in God's hands. He will deal with people that don't want to be restored because they have a hard heart. And then there's a fourth baby step. Go quickly, have the right spirit, seek restoration, and forgive. What is it that keeps people from saying they're sorry? Pride. One of my favorite preachers said one of the things that's haunted me for forever, and I, I think I said this a couple of weeks ago. In the middle of a sermon, I still remember sitting on the second row listening to him, and he said, when, when you have a relationship, the more mature person will always, the more mature Christian, he said, will always make the first move in reconciliation. And I hate that statement. Because when I'm hurt, I don't want to be mature. And I think you don't either sometimes. 
God is looking for humble followers who will obey His teaching. He said that we're to go to people. And if we don't go, we're disobeying God. And what do we say around here all the time? Never expect the blessing of God when you disobey the principles of God. He doesn't work that way. He's not this grandfather that winks at sin and says, oh, that's all right. It's okay. You're just a dude. You can't help it. I created you to be an idiot. It's okay. No, he doesn't do that. Your sin and my sin nailed his son to the cross. The most painful death known to man at that time. So he doesn't wink at our sin. He says, we've got to own up to the things we've done wrong and we've got to forgive others. Forgiveness opens up the grace of God to flow into our lives. I want you to think about the most grace-filled people you've ever met in your life. You know who they are? They're the most forgiving people on the face of the planet. Because they look at Jesus Christ. He said, I died before you ever made a step towards me. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were enemies with God and He died for us. So when I look to the cross and I see what He did for me, then it becomes real easy for me to forgive you. Because whatever you've done to me, it hadn't nailed me to a cross. Whatever I've done to you hasn't nailed you to a cross. Forgiveness opens up God's grace in our lives. And His grace changes people. You see, I want our church to be known as a grace-filled place because I've been around way too many churches that are filled with ungrace. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Some of you have experienced the ungrace. That's not what God intends for us.